hopefully you are encouraged uh, to help that ministry uh, be successful. If you would, grab your Bibles and turn to Colossians chapter 3. We are going to consider verses 12 through 17 this morning. As we've been moving through the second half of Paul's letter to the Colossians, we noted a couple of weeks ago the first paragraph of chapter 3 is the umbrella paragraph that's telling us what life in Christ looks like. Uh, that is this big picture idea of following Jesus, uh, see, setting and seeking the things that are above, understanding who you are, understanding Christ, understanding Christ is your life. That's the umbrella. And then last week we considered all the stuff that we because of Christ, are now able to put off, to take off, to rid ourselves, to put to death. This week, we're going to be focused on the things that we put on, the sort of things that we are clothed with. So let's consider these verses 12 through 17 um, in Colossians chapter 3. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, Kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Now, as we come to your word, we pray that it would find a home in our hearts, that you would be with us in the preaching, the hearing, the receiving this of your word. That would be good for our souls. God, we pray this to your glory and to our good. In Jesus' name, amen. A few years ago, a run of specialized clothing services began to pop up. The first one I noticed was called Trump, Trunk Club. And uh, you pay a monthly premium for stylists in some big city to supply you with a wardrobe. After filling out an online profile and then selecting whatever pricing package you can afford, you get a monthly box with expertly picked styles and outfits. Tagline says this, Convenience you want, confidence you deserve, dressing your best was never easier. What they don't tell you is that it all comes with a price tag of a high-end car lease. Now, if only growing in our discipleship was as easy as filling out a profile and selecting a few options, something like a spiritual trunk club. Yet God, in his infinite wisdom and mercy and kindness to us, has chosen to use this thing called the church to work slowly through the lives of his people so that they would display more and more and more of Christ in their lives. God's using the church to help us grow up and mature and reflect Jesus more and more. Discipleship is our following Christ. 
And it is equal parts, now get this, considering last week for those who were with us. Discipleship, our following Jesus, is equal parts death and life. Death to the old and life to the new. Last week we focused in, we zeroed in on the death to the old. This week we're going to be looking at life in the new, for the new, to the new. And my hope is that we will see, keeping that first paragraph, one through four, firmly in our heads and our hearts, that treasuring Christ equips our hearts then to put on the new. That our treasuring Jesus as supremely sufficient for our lives equips our heart then to put on the new, to live for Him, to reflect Him more and more and more in the way that we live. So not only are we to be focused on the things that we can put to death because of Jesus, we are also able and equipped to put on and live in the life that He would have for us. And so in discipleship, we put on some new things, some new clothes, if you will. And as we work through the passage, we'll see these laid out for us. In discipleship, we will put on a new identity, a new understanding of who we are, or more of to whom we belong. And secondly, we will see that in discipleship, we put on a new community. This dynamic that God calls the church to be. And then thirdly, we will see that in discipleship, we put on a new purpose. A new purpose. Let's dive into that. There are some things that we need to consider carefully this morning as we look at these new clothes that we just got. First is this. In discipleship, we put on a new identity. That is, we put on clothes that fit. And the clothes that we put on are not to be um, somewhat like whatever we choose it to be. It is clothes that are given to us by God, only found in Christ. And so these are, these are clothings that we're going to be putting on that are belonging to God. It is a belonging to God kind of wardrobe that we have been given in Jesus Christ. Now, look at verse 12. Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Now, we can read those things, and first of all, we, we have a you know, we have a pool to, to read Scripture and take things individualistically, like as if they're just solely for us as an individual. And there are definitely individual things that apply to our lives, but really, this is about being God's people. God is about a people, and it is union with that people that He is doing this incredible work through the person of Jesus Christ. And so these clothes that we're going to be considering are really a clothes that we as a people are putting on, a people belonging to God. And you find a description of the kind of people that God is in the business of of outfitting. It is God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. Chosen, holy, and beloved. This is these words are very important. I mean, each word can have a sermon unto itself. To be chosen, to be holy, to be beloved, those are just wells of sermons underneath them. But I want you to see that the three of them there are there for a very important reason. The Apostle Paul is not just putting them there solely just to, to wax eloquent about who we are 
or to just encourage us with who we are, though those things can be true, he put them there because it draws deeply from the Old Testament. Those three words are used in the Old Testament to describe the Old Testament people of God. Consider Deuteronomy chapter 7. The words will be on the screen. Follow along if you will. Deuteronomy chapter 7 verses 6 through 8. Some of the words might be bolded. I just want you to draw your attention to the words that you will find in this description of God's people. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession. Out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth, it was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you, for you were the fewest of all peoples. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Here in Deuteronomy 7, verses 6 through 8, and throughout the entirety of the Old Testament, we find the purpose of God is to have a chosen people that are set apart for Him in which His affection, His love is set upon them. It is the prerogative and purpose of God backed with the promises of God to bring this about, that He would have a people that would be the recipients of His love set apart for Him Now, this picture is incredible. I mean, consider those words that God is saying. You're mine, and I love you, and I love you because I love you. I mean, what heart in here doesn't want to hear that? Now, carried with that is the next passage in Deuteronomy 7, because it becomes a bit of a a crisis. We have a crisis here. We want... Deuteronomy 7, verses 6 and 8 to be true. But now we see Deuteronomy 7, 9 through 11, where it should be on the screen also. Passage continues and says this, Now therefore, that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love Him and keep His commandments to a thousand generations and repays to their face those who hate Him by destroying them. He will not be slack with one who hates him. He will repay him to his face. You shall therefore be careful to do the commandment and statutes and rules that I command you today. Picture here that we see in Deuteronomy 7 and throughout the Old Testament, it's a word called covenant. It's, a, it's this commitment that God is making with people to be God and they would be his people. God is saying, I am not going to bail on my end of this. I'm not going to stop holding faithful to my covenant. And the people who are going to be my people are to follow me and trust me and live for me. And when I give them the directions of what that looks like, they're to obey those and follow those and cling to them. And if they don't, then they're, they're bailing on the covenant and they're going to experience what comes with a broken promise, a broken covenant. And so the problem is the covenant connection between God and His people gets broken by his people all the time. The pages of the Old Testament are filled with story after story, picture after picture, people after people, breaking it, never holding up their end, always rejecting, always displacing, always idolatry. 
Sure, there are pockets of revival. Sure, there are moments in which it seems real and authentic, and it is. But overall, the whole totality is that the people have broken this covenant. So we have a problem. How can we, we're no different than the people of the Old Testament, how can we then have confidence to know that we are God's chosen and holy and beloved people? Well, that takes us to the second thing that the Bible is doing with these words. Chosen, holy, and beloved. I'm, I'm trying to lay this foundation because it's important for us then to talk about the kind of life we live. We, we need to first understand who we are. And so what is that next connection? Well, that is this. We see in the Old Testament the picture of God's people. And we see a picture in which the people fail. Now enter Jesus. Enter Christ in the incarnation, in his life. Enter Christ into the scene. Christ fulfills all of what the Old Testament people were to do. Christ does it for us. Christ comes and does what Israel and us could not do. He upholds perfectly the covenant. He upholds perfectly that relationship with God. And this is enormously necessary. We desperately need Jesus to do this. There are a couple of passages that we see in Christ's ministry that help us see this connection. One is at his baptism in Matthew chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. We see this or hear this description. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Yes, there was affection. Yes, this is God the Father delighting in God the Son by the power of God the Spirit. Yes, this is very Trinitarian, very crucially theologically, doctrinally important. But that word beloved is also crucially important. It is bringing in the deep well of the Old Testament and applying it there. Jesus is taking on what it means to be the people of God. We see it again in Matthew chapter 17. This is a sort of a peek behind the curtain moment. It's called the Mount of Transfiguration, where Peter, James, and John go up on the mountain with Jesus, and, and Jesus sort of peels back the curtain a little bit of his glory. It's like, I, yeah, I am kind of a big deal. Well, he doesn't say it like that, but he goes and he, and he reveals just a little bit of his glory. And in Matthew 17, verse 5, it says, He was speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to Him. Christ comes, and in the intricate, myriad things that He is accomplishing in His life, one of these amazing things that Jesus is doing is fulfilling all that is necessary that we find in the Old Testament for the people of God. This is amazing. Christ fulfills what we see in the Old Testament. Christ is then the true and better Israel who remains faithful all the way. And he does this for us so that we could be the recipients of God's love. That we could be called beloved. 
that we would be holy, that we would be chosen, set apart for this purpose. What Christ does. This is amazing. This is radical. This changes how you see yourself. Because now that's the third thing, is that it is in this sort of understanding of who we are, we see this deep well of the Old Testament. We see Christ fulfilling it. And now this is getting dis- sort of applied to the church. Keep the opening paragraph to chapter 3 in mind. All who are united to Christ through faith are now in Christ. So therefore, what is true of Christ is now true of all who are in Christ. So when God looks upon Christ and says, my beloved son, he looks upon the church and says, my treasured possession. My treasured possession. My beloved. Because of our union with Christ through faith, we are God's chosen people set apart to be the recipients of his affection and steadfast love. And this unbelievable description is to melt cold hearts. It is to encourage wobbly ones. And it is, it is to give direction then for how we are to live. This is so monumentally important. And I don't mean... And from a psychological perspective, I mean from a biblical description. God is calling you His beloved if you are in Christ. That means He's not calling you or seeing you or knowing you or identifying you with the shame of your sin. Christ has taken that. He has made you clean. He has paid that debt. He has welcomed you into the family of God. All that Christ is and all that Christ has done is now yours. Yours. Also, to note, you are not the performance of your religious efforts as if those could amount to all that Christ is and all that Christ has done. You are not what you've done You are not what you do. You are beloved in Christ. Now we can certainly feel the guilt and the nagging shame of the things that we have done. We can certainly think that the best thing that we could do for that is to try to do better with our lives and wear ourselves out in frustration. Friends, There is a tremendous amount of rest when you rest in Christ. There is a tremendous amount of hope when your hope is in Christ. There is a tremendous amount of life when your life is in Christ. Friends, your entire wardrobe And who in here wouldn't want one? A new one, right? I mean, seriously, we're all that way. Okay, I'm speaking honestly here, okay? Your entire wardrobe has been replaced. The tattered, 
shabby, worn out, worn down, dirty clothes are no more. You're clothed in Christ. How do you put on those clothes? Is everyone here, I don't know the condition of your heart, and so there might be some in here who are far from God, who don't have faith in Christ. The answer to that is that you look to the person and work of Jesus Christ, trusting that what he did in his life, death, and resurrection secures for you a salvation from your sin and a salvation to life with God. And the Bible is overwhelmingly encouraging to us. It says to us, those who put their faith and trust in Christ will be saved. That you see in Jesus your only means of salvation. And the only way that you are receiving that is because God graciously has provided that for you and has worked powerfully in your heart, taking that heart that once was hard and dead and making it alive and beating for Him. And that your response, and only response, to all that is offered in the person and work of Jesus Christ to you, called the gospel, the good news, the only response is that of faith. That you trust that Jesus is who He is, and has done what he has done, and that is enough for your salvation. That's true for you, then you have new clothes. If that's true for you, you are chosen, you are holy, you are beloved. That's true of you, then you have the affection of God on your soul. He looks at you and calls you treasured possession. That's good news. That's good news. And with that good news comes then not just clothes that are belonging to God, but then a lifestyle that is fitting. Now, I, I know I spent a lot of time just on those, those three words. I get it. We're going we're gonna to blitz the rest of this paragraph, I promise. But that is so foundational. If, if, that, if those things aren't true, then no matter how hard you try, the clothes of, that you see here in this paragraph will never fit. What must be true first is that you must have union with Christ through faith in Him. And then you have an overwhelming wardrobe at your disposal. So now let's consider some of that. This lifestyle fitting to one who is belonging to God. We see Christ-likeness on display. Christ-like attitudes, Christ-like actions, Christ-like love. Let's work through those verses together. Verse 13 or excuse me, verse 12. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience. Now those are incredible descriptions, obviously. Those are remarkable things that come for those who are in Christ. I mean, Paul could have said a whole bunch more, uh, but he said those things, and those things are sort of giving us a, a picture, a trajectory, an idea of the heart disposition, the attitudes that come with those who are putting on the clothes of Christ. What we're really essentially doing here is that we are putting on Christ. We're not putting on generic, all personal characteristics that are just sort of floating out in the cosmos that we just need to grab and, and sort of slap onto our lives. No, this is the character of Christ radically reshaping our own hearts. These are heart issues that we see here in verse 12. These are attitudes of the heart. And if you were to glance back up to the previous paragraph, you note that we see 
that, that Paul started with heart issues there as well. We considered that last week. The things that we are to put to death are heart issues. The initial things that we are to put on are heart issues. So it, it is very clear that God cares deeply about your heart first. Then it has an impact on how you live. And as we look at this description in the paragraph, as we look at these heart issue attitudes, what we are really seeing is a description of Jesus. And if we're really being told to put on new clothes, and those new clothes are Jesus, it should not be a surprise to know that Christ is the perfect manifestation, the perfect display of these heart issues. We are to put on Jesus. And keep in mind, don't forget, God's purpose for you is to form Christ's character in you. To mature you up in Jesus. That's His purpose for you. It's to see your life reflect more and more of Jesus. So, of course it makes sense the things that we're going to be putting on in our life are going to be Jesus. So we go about displaying Christ in our attitudes. Verse 12 describes these heart attitudes. Compassion, Kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. These are incredible. These are yours in Christ. This is what God wants to foster in your heart and your life over the span of your life. This isn't just instant download streaming. No, this is the slow dial-up sanctification service. Just slowly working out in your life over the course of your life. And all of us in here know the pool to a selfish heart. I too have a selfish heart. Left to my own self, I would be very prone to being impatient. Left to myself, I would be very prone to be boastful, defensive, unkind, uncaring. I know the miserable person I am and can be. I know what that looks like and sounds like, feels like. And I know that you know that too, for you. Well, God wants to form in you the attitudes that are consistent with Christ. And He gives us a picture of this. What a remarkable, gracious God. That his work in you, that his commitment to you is to foster more and more of that in your life, in your heart. I'm glad that he doesn't bail on Sean Carpenter. He could. He'd have every reason to. I'm a bum. But he has set his affection on me. And he keeps his promise. And he wants to foster that in my life. As in yours. Now, we can't just be these things or do these things without having a new heart that is in Christ. That is why we had, that's why I spent all that time laying that foundation. It is first and foremost to be in Christ, and then therefore we can talk on these things. And these attitudes will be slowly transforming in our lives, and as they do, they begin to show up in our actions, and that's what we see next. Not only Christ-like attitudes, but they give way into Christ-like actions. Look at verse 13. Bearing with one another, 
And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. So those attitudes show up how? Well, Paul focuses in on these two things, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. So really, he's doing us an incredible service here. He's doing us a huge service. To be a human is hard. To be a bunch of humans together is incredibly hard. So we have to go about bearing with one another and forgiving one another. That's just the reality of church. Church is going to be spent the rest of our lives learning what it means to bear with one another and forgive one another as we are following Jesus. Very woodenly, bearing with one another means to just put up with each other. When we, got, we just close proximity, sharing life together, we start to learn about all of our little things, right? And, and some of our little things might be annoying to each other. Or maybe we just get frustrated or weary or maybe we just get, we're just human beings and we get tired of each other. I'm okay to be able to say that. I know at some point, if not already, you're already tired of me and that's okay. If you're not, give it time. It just means we haven't had any time yet together and so we'll eventually get around to it. So we go about bearing with one another. And the other sort of overflow of what God has provided for us in Christ is that we are now equipped with lives and hearts that can forgive each other when we make a mess of this. And we can forgive each other. And he roots the entire motive for bearing with one another and forgiving with one another with what God has already done in us. So we're not just drumming this up from deep within. No, this is the overflow of being recipients of what God has already done. This is what he has done for us. Therefore, you now have a heart able and equipped to then do these Christ-like actions of caring for each other in the ways in which we have patience and forgiveness and in so doing, we're displaying the beauty of Christ in the life of the church. Our attitudes show up as we put up with each other in our own growing and maturing in Christ. And as we forgive each other when we mess up. When that's happening in the culture of a church, bearing with one another and the forgiving of each other, that is a beautiful and powerful thing. That means we're being honest and real and genuine and intentional and not just going through motions. If we don't have to go about bearing with each other, it means we're not very close to each other. If we don't have to forgive one another, it means we're not being very honest with each other. So it's okay to see those things in the life of the church because we desperately need to keep growing Christward. And God has purposed the church for us to live out these Christ-like attitudes and these Christ-like actions. And he drapes us. He, he gives us the outer cloak of one last garment, and that's love, Christ-like love. Christ-like love. Look then at verse 14. Above all these, the, the, the cloak that goes over the entire wardrobe Put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Put on love, displaying Christ in our love. It is the summarizing Christ-likeness to mark our lives and our church. It is 
characteristic of Christ. It is the sort of love that is consistent with the love that Christ displayed. And what kind of love did Christ display? A sacrificial love to the glory of God and to the good of others. If I could summarize Christ's love, I would summarize it in that way. It was sacrificial to the glory of God and the good of others. So that's the same sort of love that should mark His people. A love that is sacrificial to God's glory and the good of other people. Other people in this room, people in our region, our culture, who are far from God, that the love of Christ would be displayed through our sacrificial care for one another and others to God's glory and their good. Jesus says much. John 13, 34 through 35. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. And by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have this sort of love for one another. So that's what we're looking at here. That's what comes with these new clothes that we're to put on. This new identity, this new understanding of who we are, united to Christ through faith. This is what the wardrobe is consistent of. And that wardrobe is played out Not just in our individual lives, but then also in a new community. Look at verses 15 and 16. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, plural, to which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. This new communities that we are called to, that we are to live this out in, that we are to find ourselves in, is a Christ-saturated community. And a Christ-saturated community, as we see from our passage, is one where Christ rules and one where Christ dwells. Where Christ rules and where He dwells. These are important words that draw upon the Old Testament once again. Jesus is the King that the Old Testament is anticipating. And Jesus is the means by which we dwell, which is the entire picture of the whole Old Testament people of God, relational dynamic with God, is that he would dwell with them. So through Christ, by means of Christ, by being the people of God in Christ, we are under Christ's rule and we're dwelling in Christ, experiencing all that God set out to do in human history. It's truly mind-blowing and remarkable. The church is no dumb, weak little whatever thing that our world would maybe perceive it to be. It is, as Paul says in Philippians chapter 3, the, the manifold wisdom of God to basically mic drop and show off to the world, this is what I do. I rescue people from everywhere and I bring them all together and I bring them home. This is the sort of community that, that God is calling us to. A Christ-saturated one. So Christ rules through our hearts as we are united together. And what does that rule bring? That rule of Christ brings peace. Peace with God and peace with others. First, the rule of Christ in our hearts brings peace with God. Because of Christ, our restless hearts now can rest in a restored relationship with God, in which we know that our only hope and peace and joy is found in the fulfilling work of Jesus. That Jesus, because of his rule, becomes our flagship. He's our main sail. He's our captain. He's our rudder. He's the main thing. 
And while we all live in a very overwhelming, restless age, we have great news of an even greater rest. A rest where your heart is settled in Christ. Where He rules your life and heart and rules this church. Christ is the King. So we have peace with God. We also have peace with others. And that's really even just a very practical outworking that Paul is focused on. Is that we have peace with others. That we have a unity among the people of God. That the overflow of peace with God through our union with Christ is now peace with others. If you were to look back up at verse 11, you would see that Paul was thinking through the dynamic of the gospel as it goes out into the world. There were Greek and Jews. There were circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free. But Christ is all and in all. So now it is by means of Christ in this Christ-saturated community that we can experience peace with others, even as we see that people are getting saved from all walks of life. The thing, the tie that binds us is the one of Christ. And we know that in Paul's day, the church got messy because of all sorts of interpersonal, ethnic, and cultural challenges. Well, in so many ways, it's not that much different today. Our only means of that sort of unity is to see Christ as ruling our hearts. That we are together rallying around the supremacy and sufficiency of Jesus. That our hearts are having more and more of that attitude of compassion and kindness and humility and meekness and patience. That more and more of Christ is in more and more of our hearts. And that these attitudes and these actions and this love is experienced in our community. So we have peace with God, but peace with others. And we have this call at the very end of that verse, verse 15. Be thankful. Be thankful. Paul's saying, have big-hearted joy together because of what God has done for you. When you're together, big-hearted joy. Full of just kindness and wonder and worship because God has rescued you and has called you to be His people. It's really a full stop, too. I mean, it's just, as you're reading it in the original, it's just, bam, here comes another imperative. Be thankful. What are you guys thinking about? Like, this is incredible. Be thankful, Paul says. He calls us to this. A community making much of Jesus has everything in its disposal to be happy, joyful, and thankful. That's not to say that our lives aren't going to be hard, or challenging, or draining, It's just that we have the wonderful privilege of being in each other's lives and holding the rope and holding the line and saying, no, we've got Christ. And while life is hard and harsh and wearying and worrisome, we have Jesus. And if if we just get together every single time we are together and we're just in each other's lives in such a way that says, we've got Jesus, don't let go. Be thankful. Be thankful for what God has done for us. That's the sort of community that we can have where Christ rules it. He's our king. We look nowhere else. Secondly, we see there in this new community that where Christ dwells. Through the word, he's shaping our heads, hearts, and lives. He's dwelling with his people. Again, 
this is a whole slew of sermons, but when we see that word dwell, it is drawing deeply and richly on the Old Testament. It is Old Testament temple language, where God's presence dwelled with God's people to God's glory. Where God and his people dwelled together, his presence was shared with his people all to his glory. What a beautiful picture. And Lisa read Revelation 22, where we see that picture in full HD, you know, 4K HD glory. One day, not marked with sin. No shadow of it anymore. There it is, in full glory, Christ dwelling with his people. And so this community where Christ dwells is to be a word-soaked community. And it shows up in our teaching, our preaching, and our singing. Things that we declare is to be consistent with what we are to display. And hopefully I've made the case clear that both, both what we declare and what we display are to be what God has done for us through Jesus. And we can't be the community God has called us to be if we aren't so sold out and focused on declaring and displaying Christ. He becomes us everything. Now, a lot of ink has been spilled on what did Paul mean by psalms and hymns and spiritual songs and people argued. I don't even know why. Because we're stupid. I don't know. We just argue over dumb things. Of all the things he could say, the kind of community where Christ is ruling and dwelling, is to be a singing one. Just stop and think about that for a second. God's people, the overflow of his affection on their lives, the the result of being a treasured possession, is that God's people would sing, sing. Singing is... Amazing thing. Now, singing with people isn't always amazing. Sometimes we're here and there and, and we don't know where we are. But it is beautiful. It is incredible to hear your voices. And I, I will tell you this. The worship team, when they hear you, it's hard for them to sing. Not because you're drowning them out. Although, go for it. Because of what that means. To be the people of God is to be a singing people. And the singing people <clears throat> who are soaked with God's word and teaching and, 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 and preaching and in singing, we, we are being shaped to live after a new purpose. And in that new purpose, this incredible thing happens. We become a compelling community. We become a compelling community displaying Christ to the glory of God. Verse 17, quickly. Whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. What a privilege. We have a new purpose, and that purpose is to display Christ to the glory of God. The all that is referred there, and whatever you do, in word or deed, do all or, you know, the whole scope of what's being said there in verse 17. 
is, it certainly refers to everything stated in verses 12 through 16, but I would also include 5 through 11, everything about the putting to death and the putting on, all of the stuff that we are considering what it looks like to follow Jesus, we do for the glory of God. We do it to display Jesus for God's glory. That our motive would be one for the glory of God and that our manner would be that, again, that full, big-hearted thankfulness and joy. And that we would be a people so eager for it that, that we would be eager to see others get in on this. That our rescue from our old dead ways because of the grace and mercy of God through Jesus Christ, means we have new life to live and we want to live that out. And that this new life that we share together, soaked with the Word, singing and rejoicing in God and all that He's done for us through Christ is compelling because of what it is all about. It's all about displaying Christ to the glory of God. That's why I want us to be a church that goes about treasuring Christ through all of life because it is overwhelmingly good for our hearts. One last thing to say here is that displaying Christ for the glory of God, this new purpose gripping our hearts together becomes incredibly attractional to a world that is without hope. Now there's Two ways to kind of use the word attractional. There's attractional programs, but I would rather us be an attractional community. Programs and events cannot replace the magnetic joy of a community of people treasuring Christ together. A community of people growing at displaying Christ-like attitude. A community of people growing at displaying Christ-like action. A community of people growing at displaying Christ-like love. A community of people growing at rejoicing in God's truth proclaimed. A community of people growing at singing full throat and heart, like just joyful. Nothing can replace or match the magnetic joy of a compelling community that is Christ-saturated. My hope is that's us more and more. And that what we'll find is that anybody can get out on this, and a lot of people do, all to the glory of God and the good of His church. So together, let's be a people who know how to rest in God's affection for us. You don't have to earn it. He's poured it out on you through Christ already. Let us be a people who grow at displaying love for one another, that we see the natural overflow of what we've received from God is outward in nature. And let us be a people who sing like we are loved. If you stand up here and sing this next song like you are loved, how high are you going to be? How loud are you going to be? How full are you going to be? Or how earnest are you going to be in your heart if you don't like burst it out with your vocal cords? It's okay. You don't all, we don't have to transform into extroverts. But we can sing out of our hearts. Let us be a people who sing like we're loved. And let us be a people who treasure Christ through all of life to the glory of God. Amen. Amen. God, we pray that you, this would be true of us, that you would help us to be the, the, this sort of people. Now understand that we are beloved 
that long to see more of Christ on display. And I want all of that to happen for your glory. 